The following podcast is rated M for mature language, themes, and content. Listener discretion is advised. And it's also rated S for spoilers. Lots and lots of spoilers. In a world of cable cutting and video on demand, one streaming service offers a ray of hope to humankind. From the heights of science fiction, fantasy, and animation, to the depths of reality TV and everything in between. We're looking at you, rom-coms. Netflix originals deliver the content you crave, but are they good? We're about to find out. This is Netflix and Podcast. It's like the proverbial elephant. Um, We're like three monks are you know, three blind monks touching an elephant and one person says, oh, it's like a snake. Another person's like, oh, it's like this or that. It's like, well, you're just three blind people touching different parts of a, a big complex uh, creature. So anyway, I thought that was yeah. a, a cool podcast and it was the detective McDreamy from uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. That was the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. handsome detective that yeah. I, I suspected. <laughs> so let's get into it. I'm Dr. T. I'm here with my co-hosts, Joy and Seamus. Thank you, as always, for joining us here at Netflix and Podcast, the show where we talk about Netflix originals and only Netflix originals, examining them through the lens of storytelling, psychology, sociology, visual effects, and when it's all said and done, give them a thumbs up or a big old fat thumbs down. So today we're talking about Tiger King episode four, playing with fire. The description of today's episode is Joe ramps up his efforts to become an internet and TV star, but a mysterious fire and lawsuit threatens it, threaten his plans until an angel investor appears. So a lot, uh, a lot in this episode, it continues what started the last time around with Joe's escalating fight with Carol, kind of big picture, broad strokes. What were your thoughts, feelings about episode four? Seamus, you can go first. Um, I mean, it's it's back to the mayhem part of the, you know, murder mayhem mm. madness. Mayhem sure. and madness, I would say, uh, is what this episode felt like. You know, there's some more explanation into Joe Exotic's descent uh, into madness. It, yep. you know? <laughs> madness, <laughs> check. Getting, yeah, he's getting more and more erratic kind of thing, and they're explaining why and and all that. So it's it's not the true crime offshoot anymore it's it's you know back to your original scheduled programming um and it's yeah it's definitely a plane crashes into a train and you can't look away sort of scenario (laughs) you know it's as the episode goes on it's like oh and then this crazy thing happened so the the train then drove off a cliff um with the with the plane crashed into it right yeah yeah and there's alligators in that yeah yeah so yeah there's alligators in like the river below indiana jones temple of doom style so um yeah it's just one of those things where you find yourself leaning forward and shaking your head all at the same time it's but you also get the aspect which we'll talk about later i'm sure rick kirkham the um, producer he's only in it for his retirement, you know, he even says that later on, you know, he's just like, my job, I just kept the cameras rolling because you just never know what was going to happen. It was gold kind of thing. So he recognized it just from the filming of it before, you know, anything was brought to audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what I really liked about this episode was getting Rick's point of view and um, hearing about his experience 
behind the scenes of what was going on and just also feeling his, like, you could just tell that he really saw this as an opportunity to maybe finally have that hit show um, that he'd been looking for and have that opportunity, but you can also feel his heaviness and like, he knew how like fucked up this whole thing was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, when the big thing happened, why he just like walked away right there. He was like, I just grabbed my dog and got in my truck and left. Like yep. he must've just felt like, you know, it's almost like if you sacrifice enough of your, I don't know if morals are the right word. I think that's, but if you sacrifice enough and if you let enough things slide to get an outcome, it might be worth it. But then when you don't get that outcome, Gosh, I mean, you could just kind of see it on his face. I felt like, at least from an emotional standpoint, that's what I was picking up. Like defeated, you know, like the like the picture of defeat. You know, it's sort of like yeah. if the ends justify the means, or if in your mind the ends justify the means, and then those ends evaporate, and all those means were suspect. It's like what you're saying. It's like, oh man, I did all that. I compromised myself. You know, I wasted time, energy for literally nothing for it to literally go up and smoke but maybe you know maybe that's this documentary was probably very i would imagine it was very cathartic for him and probably was lifting in a lot of ways because he finally got to speak all of his truth in a way that not just like his friend at the bar would hear right like i'm sure it was you know so maybe that was also part of the emotion that i was just getting mm -hmm. from him in this episode yeah yeah, Rick Kirkham's definitely an interesting character. I looked a little bit into his backstory and, um, you know, he definitely had a reality or a, a TV career that was pretty accomplished. Um, what was the show that Bill O'Reilly was on before coming over to Fox News? Was it Hard Copy or Inside Edition? One of those two, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think Rick would, had been a producer or was involved in that show uh, for a period of time, but I guess at some point he got involved in, you know, smoking crack and, and kind of went down a pretty bad hole when it came to uh, drug use and abuse. And this was, this was in addition to his retirement plan, I think this was also his kind of path to redemption in uh, getting back into TV. So he had a lot on the line here and obviously invested a lot of time, energy, money, and himself in it. Um, and obviously we'll talk about specifically what happened, but yeah, it all uh, ended up burning down and, you know, it seemed at least to me pretty clear who was responsible for that. Um, but yeah, so getting into the actual substance of this episode, it kicks off with Joe listening to some of his own music. Um, I thought it was interesting that he says, I use my music as an escape from reality uh, because they don't really talk about it in the, in the documentary. And you know, we hinted at it before in, in earlier episodes of this podcast, but he absolutely did not sing those songs. It's completely not him. Um, there's a country music band, I forget the exact uh, name of the band, but he contracted them. He actually ripped them off, um, said that the music was going to be involved in this reality TV show that he was putting together. Um, he did write the songs, they sang them, and they never got paid. So um, him saying that he uses his music as an escape from reality, it's true on many levels, one being that he's actually a musician. And I thought when they're showing um, different scenes from the music video uh, bring it on uh, by joe exotic i guess um there's one shot of him in like a recording studio that actually looks like a legit recording studio and you got to think to yourself like what kind of self-deception is at work 
for you to film yourself recording a song that you know for a fact that you didn't actually sing. And that's just one piece of this overall Joe Exotic puzzle, but it just goes to show like how, how like diluted and, you know, it, they kind of talked about it. Um, Rick Kirkham actually said later in the episode, you know, he was the king in his own mind. He was like the lord of this, this, little, this little island and um, reality had no bearing on it. So I just thought that this opening sequence with his, what we know to be fake music video uh, was really telling of that and just kind of an insight into his, his mental process. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was interesting to to have him say that it's a way to escape, but the songs are so much about his current reality, which didn't make any sense to me. Like, and if I was listening to something that I knew was fraudulent, how does that, you know, so that whole, I just feel like he was just saying what he thought the camera wanted in that moment versus like how he really felt. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said in my intro to this episode, he's definitely becoming more and more delusional, or at least they're showcasing that uh, with the thing. And it's there's even like a very short shot that shows him singing in the car along with it. And it is so quick that you almost think it could be him singing it because he can get that low when he sings, but his speaking voice is so high, right? And nasally, but yeah, it's... I didn't know, I mean, I knew that he contracted out a different band, but I didn't know he wrote the lyrics. So maybe that's what he uses as an excuse to like, oh, it is my music because I wrote it technically, you know? Yeah, so the um, the guy who pretty sure actually sang the songs is a country music um, singer named Danny Clinton, um, who actually, there's two guys because it's a band and you can hear, I think Vince Johnson and Danny Clinton are the two guys um, and there's like a harmony section in one of his songs. And it's like, well, obviously, Joe, you're not singing your own harmony at a different pitch. There's a, uh, a music podcast, I think called Make It Stop, that uh, got into this pretty deep. Um, and another one where they actually did like a pitch analysis. And they're saying that Joe's natural voice, even if you pitched it down to like a baritone, it doesn't sound like the song. So there's some sound engineering uh <laughs> obstacles that he he can't overcome to try to actually claim that this was him um, and if you listen to some of the Danny Clinton or Vince Johnson songs you can hear it's it's basically the same voice but um, to your point I think the fact that um, he did write the content he's really indulging in a lot of these kind of fantasies and these obsessions which obviously is really the substance of of this episode his his increasing focus on Carol and his obsession with Carol and how this really took him down this this path of madness it's sort of just, uh, I guess to me, it's another one of these, he's not escaping reality, he's indulging in his fantasy. He's indulging in his fantasy reality where it's him being a victim, Carol is the source of all of his problems, and he's fully abdicating any responsibility for the circumstances of his life, which as we very quickly learn are self-inflicted wounds. Um, and that's kind of you know where the, the show goes next. It starts talking about how Joe became aware of SEO and that Carol was showing up in the first position when you search for big cats and things of that nature. And he had been targeted by some of Carol's, I guess you could say volunteers at this point already for the tiger pettings and they had been getting him shut down at malls. And so vindictively, he made an effort to 
literally copy their logo, literally copy their business name. I think he called it Big Cat Rescue Entertainment and they were Big Cat Rescue Corporation. He copied you know, the image that was used, which was a snow leopard's eyes. Um, I listened on a, on a podcast that was talking about this with the assistant who actually helped him with this operation. And the guy was like trying to change things and make it differentiated. And Joe's like, nope, you got to make it look the same. Nope, you got to make it look the same. So while he was demurring a little bit in the, in the Netflix uh, documentary, kind of like, oh, I don't know, kind of looks the same, you know, but it was very intentionally done to confuse people because he wanted again, which is the broader theme, create this sense of equivalency between himself and Carol. She's no better than me. She's doing the same stuff as me. She's coming after me when she's done tiger breeding and petting and things like that in the past, which he did. But at the same time, you know, it really showed a lack of sense on his part to do something that actually exposed him to legal action. Because as Howard said in this episode, up until that point, they couldn't sue him for doing the tiger petting because it wasn't illegal. And that, I mean, granted, that's a whole other ball of yarn and a whole other issue why it's not illegal. And, uh, you know, certainly there's animal rights activists who are, you know, pushing things like the, the big cat laws that we talked about before to try to make it illegal. But at this point, there's, they didn't really have anything on him and he gave it to them on a silver platter. Mm. And, and every time they gave him an out and an opportunity to kind of cap and say, ah, all right, you're right, you won. No, you just dug in even further. So it was just, you know, fully self-inflicted and, um, you know, really just kind of hubris and, and ego as far, you know, kind of like the, the classic Greek, you know, myth of, you know, somebody who uh, was undone by their own hand, you know, just a really classic example of hubris. Yeah, and I was really wondering if Rick hadn't showed up and made this deal and started feeding into the ego, right? Um, you wonder if he would have dug down like dug in mm. every time because he felt all these people watching because remember in that one scene rick was saying he would fire people just because he knew the cameras were there because right. it was entertaining so it's like imagine then if you have someone who has that much of an ego or almost a paper thin ego if you think about it that way right where they have to puff up their chest and and show off you know and then you have this woman coming along and you know of course you might do things that maybe he wouldn't have done if the tv show hadn't have been there filming so i was thinking about that while i was watching it because he really was performing mm -hmm. yeah I think and i don't point. think he's ever stopped no no probably not and well i mean you you also have to wonder by that line of thinking like would he have eventually got to where he is it just would have taken longer because he didn't have like a big bigger experienced producer there because he was producing his own content all the time before rick kirkham got there so i think just based on you know your personality is always going to shine through no matter what you know and just it might have just taken him longer in my opinion to to get to his current point of <clears throat> you know pushing Carol and, and doing this and that, it, you know, I don't know, but he would, you know, I think Saf said it in the first or second episode that he had cameras on him all the time. And there was, you know, shots of him just eating lunch, you know, super boring footage, but he had cameras going all the time anyway. Yeah. Just cause you never know when someone might get their arm bit off. Right. By 
tiger. Well, it's actually the, Tuesday the, at the G GW Zoo. It's a, right, it's a exactly. Mauling. Yeah. Regularly scheduled. The other thing that just made me really sad in this episode was how it seemed like the animals were coming last in the whole like sequence they showed about like them not having enough food for them. Gosh, that just like that was really hard for me to watch. I, I feel bad if I feed my dog an hour late than I did the day before, you know, <laughs> like I'm such a animal. Um, and I know most people are like, most people wouldn't be able to watch that and not feel sad for those animals. I mean, you see all those tigers, like in that corral like you would see cattle and right. they were just like ravenous and they were talking about not having enough buckets and it's just like when did it stop becoming about the animals because i don't know yeah that broke me in this episode for sure so one of the things i was um i learned about in uh this is the joe exotic tiger king podcast uh, they covered some of this he actually had somebody start the Joe Exotic TV show in response to Carol um, starting up a YouTube channel. So it was a tit for tat kind of thing. He saw Carol had a YouTube channel that became pretty quickly successful. Joe wasn't going to let Carol have something on him. It's like, oh, she's got it. I want it. And so that was when he initially started Joe Exotic TV. And the guy that had helped um, Joe with that, it, it wasn't originally uh, Rick. It was some other guy. And he's like, yeah, like I really wanted to be almost like a Tonight Show. And so it was gonna, you know, the idea was to have like soft segments, like, ah, oh, this is Joe with like two little baby raccoons and things of that, uh, things of that nature. But inevitably he would go off script. Inevitably, inevitably he'd get back onto the Carol thing. And so he was just like a dog with a bone. He could not let it go. Um, and then eventually Rick came in to step up the production level of the Joe Exotic TV show that had already been recording. And then Rick, on top of that, was recording the recording, which he mentions in, in the episode that we're talking about today. Um, so you had the camera crew for Joe Exotic TV, but then there's this secondary camera crew recording the camera crew and everything else that was going on that was for Rick's reality show that he ultimately you know, was hoping to pitch to the networks and get made. So again, it's just another one of these things where it's like, Right from the very beginning, it was it was all about Carol, not letting her have anything that he didn't have. You know, he really was obsessed with her, you know, and then that extended to, you know, shooting the blow-up doll with the Carol name tag in the head, you know, going down to Tampa to Carol's zoo to pose, you know, looking like he had been shot and, and going in the rabbit costume and, you know, sharing around the picture of some of the Big Cat Rescue employees with dead rabbits, which, you know, he cynically spun into oh like he's actually concerned about dead rabbits all of a sudden to just again have something on her which carol smartly used again by buying the copyright to that image for like five bucks and then suing him again so you know he really was just obsessed with her could not let it go everything that he did was just making his own position worse giving carol more ammunition but he went back down went back down went back down and i think it's exactly what you're saying uh, joy that he at some point believed the hype. He believed the myth. He was like, I am the Tiger King, which is why he was watching that section of the reality show on loop with him and the, with the throne in the background. He really wanted to believe that he was the king of his domain and Carol was an existential threat to that, a threat to his 
the source of income by shutting him down on um, the tiger petting mall uh, experiences that he had, shutting him down online by having a better ranking on Google. So he wasn't going to quit as long as he had a breath, you know, sort of reminds me of the guy in the Monty Python um, movie where he's got his arms and his legs cut off and he's like still trying to headbutt the dude. He's like, come on, man. That's like, my favorite scene <laughs> in that movie. I love that scene. That's Joe that Exotic. Killer, that and the killer rabbit. The exactly. killer rabbit scene is great it's too. like, oh, you're just, yeah, you're no, just exactly. a torso. What are you going to do? He's like, I'll yeah. bite your neck. Yeah. <laughs> Tenacity. Yeah. Well, I mean, Joe even says like, you're never going to shut this mouth up until you're in yeah. prison kind of thing so like that was God, he the... said that with the picture of his father who passed behind him that was like also pretty emotional you I know i think that might have been his brother like, that was his brother like, yeah oh that was his brother okay gerald mm, yeah. gerald oh, okay that makes more sense now but yeah but also like Joe, still really weird by the way it doesn't really the matter. shit that you did to your mother is unacceptable to loop your family into all that shit like that wasn't carol's fault like go ahead blame it on carol but to have your mother have to like make a plead on a gofundme like that like i just would i could never uh i don't know it was terrible. terrible i think the two the two most difficult scenes in this episode, and I would venture to say maybe the most difficult scenes in this entire series was, you know, because as a result of mounting legal fees and there's like a $1 million judgment against Joe. And so he, you know, had to make payments to Carol and this and that. So he's ramping up his tiger breeding efforts and they show the baby tigers literally being taken from the, from the mom at the moment of birth. And then he's like, you know, goddamn things won't stop screaming. And you're like, oh my God, dude, like, yeah they're basically infants crying out for their mom like what do you think what do you think they're gonna do that was terrible but then the other part was the gofundme video with his mom and she's asking for people to help her out because he was hitting her up to help um continue funding his his legal battle with carol and oh man, that was just so devastating. And that, but she's also on Joe's side against Carol. Like she goes on son. a tire. Yeah, right. she goes on a tirade against Joe. I mean, that's what it adds to the right to the heartbreak. You know, where it's yeah. like, man, you know, and then because that, you know, as a parent, you will do anything for your child, pretty much. You know, and so it's it's on you as an adult to not put things on your parents. You know what I mean? Like you we all know better than to like have our parents uh co-sign for something that's just going down in flames because we're involved in this lawsuit that we got ourselves in or something i don't know like i just think yeah the baby tiger thing was hard very hard to watch that, that got me i mean you know the mom tiger's panting and you know obviously she's upset and in the middle of still giving birth and they're yanking these these infants out and then you know joe's treatment of them afterwards i mean i think what that really drove home to me was how um, how kind of bankrupt joe had become uh, in terms of his own morality and sense of right and wrong where he's he's willing to abuse these animals to the absolute limit and then he's also willing to abuse people to the absolute limit. His mom, his employees, getting them all involved. 
having assets in their name, which exposed them to further lawsuits from Carol because you know she obviously knew the shell game that he was trying to play. And I thought that the part in this episode where he's like, "That's this, you know, this man's not in my name, like this and that." And he's like looking really smug and self-satisfied. He's like, "I'm not so dumb to have it in my name." It's like, dude, like you're not, you're you actually are pretty stupid. Like, do you think that that was gonna throw him off the case? Like, no, like they know what you're doing. It just really exposed him. And I think it kind of counterbalanced some of the sympathy or, or some of the, the feelings of, um, you know, maybe support that a viewer could have for Joe when you really see that when it came down to it, it was all about him, it was all for him. And he was going to take anyone and everyone up to and including his own mother down with him if that's what it was going to take to continue perpetuating this obsession with Carol. Yeah, 100%. And then the other thing that we got more insight to in this episode was just we got to see some of the just really gross things that he was posting online about her and, and just the memes he was creating. And, and in that moment, we get to see her watching one of those videos. And you can mm. see, like, I know as a woman, when we feel uncomfortable, we laugh. Totally. We mm. will laugh it off. And you can see her kind of having a chuckle, but then you see her get quiet. You know, Carol's not the greatest person in the world, clearly, but like I really, from a female perspective, like I totally felt that because most of us are conditioned to laugh or shrug something off when something really bothers us. And you could just kind of see that happen in her brain in that moment man that was there was a lot like this episode was definitely like more one of the more heavier ones i think mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so far at least emotionally for me but yeah. um <laughs> yeah there was a lot there yeah you nailed it i think that scene with carol is exactly what you said you know her attempting to laugh off something that is just really sick and offensive and you know it's probably really devastating for her, honestly to see a blobfish compared to her crotch or, you know, whatever crazy stuff Joe was um, putting out there and the websites he was creating to perpetuate those memes and, and, you know, rumors and things of that nature. And like you said, Carol's not perfect. Like I was listening to an account from, um, you know, there's a private investigator or not a private investigator, an investigative journalist who was actually looking at Carol and her facility on um, kind of like employee treatment uh, type things like there have been complaints about employees not being treated well and and we kind of saw that earlier with her talking about you know I don't even remember their names and this and that it's like you know we're not saying that Carol's a saint by any means she's definitely up to something related to her husband uh, her ex-husband Don's disappearance whether directly or indirectly there's definitely something kind of shady going on there but at the same time I mean Joe definitely took it far beyond the pale and you know, it's just really, I don't know, it's just really uh, kind of gross. And like you said, kind of heavy, tying in like some of this other stuff with, you know, the extent that he actually compromised his own personal relationships and the extent he was really willing to drag so many other people and so many lives down with him as he kind of just kept running his train right off the track and into the alligator pit. Oh, the alligators. The thing that I want to know is were the... I don't know if I want to know this or not, but like <laughs> the thing about that whole is the documentary really 
sets us up to think a certain way about that, right? And we've seen how this documentarian has set us up to feel certain ways that we've found out through other things, like aren't 100% true. But I think with this type of thing, you know, the case is still open. They haven't solved it. It was definitely an arson. We don't know. We also don't have any accounts from the first responders on the scene. We don't really have anything except it's an open investigation. We don't actually know if did alligators actually die or was that something that was like Joe said. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we just, mm -hmm. we don't know. And like, does Joe still have all those tapes somewhere? If he did do it, his type of ego, I would think that he would want to like rewatch that stuff. I don't know. But I like the whole, there's so many avenues that my mind went of possibilities. Like if he did do it, does he actually have the capability to kill these animals? Like in that way, so cruelly to like basically save his ass. And that recording with the lawyer is, makes you just, I mean, that just takes it over the top and you almost can't see anybody but Joe orchestrating it. It's really the only thing that makes sense. Well, he even says at the end of that, you know, he leaves the lawyer's office. He's like, I can find someone who needs 10,000 bucks and wants to make a name for themselves and like kind of leaves it at that. Right, so, exactly. But, so, you know, yeah. Joe also is, you know, mad. So he probably said a lot of stuff like that. You know, I'm not excusing it one way right. or the other, but like, you know, just the memes and stuff that he, he was an internet troll before, <laughs> you know, it became like a almost politically active thing to do these yeah. days, but he, he was only targeting one person very deliberately and heinously. Yeah. Uh, Cause it didn't, it wouldn't make any sense that Carol had anything to do with it because the evidence that she was about to get from that, that they were about to collect would only help her get him shut down because mm -hmm. he even said that, oh, there's stuff on tape, like people were doing veterinary work and they weren't actually really veterinarians and stuff like that, which just is like horrifying to think about, like, but also makes complete sense once you look at the rest of his operation. Right. Because I okay. think anyone with like a legit license that came there would probably raise some ethical questions, right? So, yeah. Right. There's I, I feel like there could about... be a whole... A, a documentary just on the fire aspect because there's so oh, much yeah. to dig in on there i don't know totally there's something you mentioned earlier joy about like rick kirkham sacrificing his principles you know day after day after day and then when the fire happened he just you know it's like oh, well it was all for naught could have been you know this is a wild speculation but he could because he was suspected to have done it by a few people at the zoo like oh that definitely looks like kirkham walking in front of it even though it was his retirement he might have felt so bad about unleashing this monster outside of out of joe exotic that he's like nope this can never see the light of day but the fact that it killed seven crocodilians according to john finley i don't think that would he'd be okay with that you know and just in case on the long shot that somebody's listening to this and they haven't watched the tiger king which again it's a long shot if you haven't <laughs> seen it you've heard enough about it but what we're talking about specifically is you know as we know, Rick Kirkham had been filming everything that was going on at the GW Zoo. Um, like you said, Joy, there is taped, uh, you know, employees administering uh, veterinary medicine and, and doing procedures without a license. You know, that's illegal. Um, there's probably 
all sorts of other illegal activities, drug use, et cetera, that had been on tape. So it's some, in all likelihood, some really incriminating footage. And there had been an altercation between Rick and Joe a week or two leading up to this, where Joe seemed to be surprised that Rick actually had the rights to this footage um, and that he actually owned the footage. Like, again, like you were saying, there's that, uh, that film, which it's crazy that it even exists, of Joe talking to a lawyer and the lawyer's like, so there's only one copy? Okay, well, it's, oh, there's only one copy. Wink, 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 wink. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, that, that's as incriminating as anything. Um, but anyway, all the footage was stored in a part of the zoo that served as the production studio as well as the alligator house or the crocodile house or whatever was in there. I think actually it was, it was both alligators and crocodiles some of which John Finley, Joe's ex-husband at this point, raised himself and, and he was uh, really fond of. There's a couple of alligators that I believe had been formerly owned by Michael Jackson. And so I think we do know for a fact that obviously the place burned down in a fire that the police determined to be arson, burned too hot, everything was destroyed uh, for it to just be an accident. Some number of animals did die. And you know I think that Joe's past actions such as killing animals via neglect or directly by his own hand in the he had been he had been killing animals like like why would he have any qualms against paying somebody potentially because he was um his alibi was that he was at a a funeral yeah, out of out town of yeah so he had an alibi someone else was doing the dirty work i mean he was happy to to kill animals himself so i don't think he would have had any qualms especially since he saw this as a, again a threat to his his realm, a threat to his kingdom. And he knew that there was some communication between Carol and Rick, Carol looking for some material evidence to, you know, prove aspects of her case. The sheriff said that the footage may have been subpoenaed had it continued to exist. So the risk of keeping that stuff around was huge. And really the only person who would directly benefit from it going up in smoke was Joe. But yeah, so that's kind of what we know about that. You know, there isn't any direct evidence tying him to it. A lot of circumstantial evidence. Um, like you are saying, Seamus, they tried to implicate Rick and there is some, what seemed to be like closed circuit TV of somebody walking kind of the way that Rick Big walks. Big foot looking footage with yeah, the, uh, the grainy Aussie Outback hat on. Right. Yeah. And I just want to say it, as a filmmaker, it's absurd to me that he would not back up his footage. That was a like, question like I he had. Like he claims, like that, that's sort of like, man, you're a professional. You've been around doing this for a long time. And if this is your retirement, you know, you'd be backing it up daily, mm. you know, offsite, like different location. Kind of thing. Especially in such a volatile environment, you yeah. know? Yeah. So that yeah. like really raised my eyebrow kind of thing. Cause in the, in the visual effects world, even in like within studios, there's like three different backups that go on. So, you got backups of your backups. Yeah, so if like one server goes down, like you just plug it in and wait for that to boot up kind of thing. Granted, that's all in a similar location. But yeah, the the GW Zoo was, you know, a literal powder keg because he's like Joe Exotic's blowing up his own watches and stuff because Carol won them in the yeah. settlement. So The other interesting thing is with Rick is, you know, they filmed everything and he had cameras on everything. You know, he was living there for a lot, quite a while. And he admitted that he kind of got sucked in and that really? he was tired. 
what if he had figured out that stuff was going to be subpoenaed and there was stuff on that that would really completely ruin his own career? Not just stuff that he saw that she should have reported, but what if, you know, there was stuff on there? But then again, he could just get rid of that specific footage, right? Like, but maybe, I don't know, but then that would be tampering with, you know, a subpoenaed evidence or something, but I don't know. So yeah, I think the same thing. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. So yeah, it's interesting. I think it really could go either way between Mm -hmm. I'm really 50 50 on just because there's there's just suspicion on both sides with that you know I think the thing that I just want to know why Kirk didn't back it up that is at the very least extremely sloppy on his part at the most suspicious stupid either way to not have a backup yeah I mean, after after we record this episode, I'm going to back up my computer because it's been <laughs> or so. <laughs> well, we back Knock up uh, wood. our Don't recordings. Don't jinx us. Gosh. We've got everything in triplicate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I thought was <laughs> characteristic of Joe was how he responded to it, which is to say extracting the maximum amount of sympathy. So the alligator house burns up. The reality TV show footage burns up. Hard drives with incriminating evidence burn up. They blame it on Rick, basically kick Rick out of the park, ban him from returning, threaten him, etc. Okay, Rick's out. And then very quickly, Joe turns around and is filming like donation videos. Like, oh, there's a towering inferno of flames and fire that, oh, uh, another take, towering inferno. What was it? Was it Farno? Boiling alive. Boiling alive, flames of fire. Like, so he's like rehearsing this video, like doing multiple takes to get people to donate for it, um, which I think he successfully must have raised the money because there was like a ribbon cutting ceremony that they showed in this episode. So he must have gotten donations uh, to rebuild the alligator house. But he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's Rick or it's the animal rights activists burned down my alligator house. I was listening to on one of the Joe, one of the many Joe Exotic podcasts uh, that I've listened to about uh, Joe Exotic. The uh, there's a case with a liger, and Joe was basically saying, "Oh, this liger is not doing well. It's 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 sick," and it eventually died. And he's like, oh, "It must have been those animal rights activists. They must have poisoned another one of my animals." And they take the animal to the vet, and this is all on tape. So this is this is all actual evidence. You hear the vet talking, the vet assistant has to like leave the room because the animal had been laying in the hot sun for like a day or more at this point. The smell was really terrible. Um, And the vet's like, no, it died of like heat and dehydration. So it was Joe's negligence killed the animal. And there was actually another uh, case with a bear that died of either dehydration or just neglect and kind of the same thing. So he had this pattern of Again, deferring responsibility for his own actions, which in the case of the animals was neglect or a lack of action on the quote unquote animal rights activists. And it just seemed like he would, I guess what I'm saying, it's like a false flag attack. You know what I mean? It's like uh, like somebody, you know, committing a crime and then saying, ah, oh, look, that's why we need, you know, more surveillance or more resources or whatever, because this crime happened. It's like, well, you're the one that committed it. You know, so it seemed like Joe was kind of playing, um, like a disinformation, but you kind of said it, Seamus. He was like a troll before, you know, like a professional troll before it was a thing. It's like he's getting into disinformation. He's he's launching false flag attacks. I mean, he's using like every 
trick in the book of a like a rogue nation or something like that that's trying to advance its own political interests but he was doing it in his own little gw zoo kingdom so i mean i can totally see him being completely behind this completely maybe even deceiving himself at some point to think that he didn't actually do it like i wouldn't be surprised if he was capable of that level of self-deception to actually get to the point where he did a thing and then somehow began to believe that somebody else did it like right well, I think we brought it up in the previous episode. You know, it's just George Costanza's motto. It's not a lie if you believe it. Uh, yeah. Right? And he was selling it. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> but Howard and Carol weren't going to stand for it. They weren't buying his BS. Um, they kept pressing legal action, trying to collect uh, in any way, shape, or form. Of course, Joe was happy to blow up stuff that they were trying to collect whether it was a you know a truck or a computer or whatever his bed um, his bed <laughs> but yeah so then he just kept losing more and more uh he lost his bus so he couldn't do the tiger pettings you know he was already had spent 250k in his legal defense a lot of that money probably came from his parents who then had to do the gofundme thing there's the one million dollar uh judgment on top of that payments that had to that had to be made on top of that Tigers that still had to be fed. I think that um, it might have been John Rinky, the the manager, saying that it was like sixty to seventy grand a month to feed the tigers. And you were talking about this this scene earlier, Joy, where you know they're trying to figure out how are they going to feed these tigers. There's not enough meat, which is really sad. It's really strange. I think one thing that's worth kind of mentioning is you know again, if by some long shot somebody hasn't actually watched this, the visual of that many tigers in one cage pacing around. I don't think I've ever seen, I don't know, it looked like, what, 30, 40 tigers all in one cage? Yeah. Like It was intense. Really intense. Yeah. There's something about it, it just that many tigers me of together. Cattle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ugh. It's like an it infestation just... of tigers, you know, but it was all a product of his breeding program, you know, just pumping yeah. out these kittens. Yeah. Yeah, Ugh. it definitely looked like a, like a feedlot of sorts because it was all yeah. exactly yeah they're they're carnivores too so they're going to be a little bit more amped up than like Mm -hmm. possible cows and and stuff like that but um you know here's a fun fact a group of tigers is called an ambush so he had Mm. a big old fat ambush of tigers running around there yep Uh, yeah it's crazy and you know the sad thing too is like there's actually employees that cared about these animals you know like the one um most of them oh, did. you could see it on their faces. Yeah. They right. they weren't here for Joe. They were no. here for the zoo. And we yeah. see it in that one lady where she, you know, we're probably going to talk about this next, where she talks about that she didn't like this Jeff Lowe character coming mm. around. And then, you know, you could just see it on their faces of how they just, they wanted better for these animals, you know? And yep. I don't I, remember what the head keeper was called. It's not John... Ranky because Eric the Cowie, manager. the guy who kind of looked yeah. like an old, old school rocker kind of looking guy. Yeah, with yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, uh, he says early on, you know, when they're starting to talk about and hint about Joe's financial troubles, he's like, I'm just glad I was here for the Tigers. Right. You know, because if yeah. it was just Joe taking care of him, you know, and he sort of yeah. left it at that. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think um, I think his employees are in it for the animals more so than Joe, uh, than for Joe, I should say. You know, I mean, the the key example of that is Saf who got his arm ripped off and was given the option of 
physical therapy to save the arm or just amputate and get back to work two days later. And she did it so that the zoo itself wouldn't get bad PR. Yep. You know? Yeah. And he did it. Sorry. And that, you know, and not to, not to forget about our friend, Doc Antle, you know, he kind of at this point has been relegated to color commentary. It seems like just to mention him briefly, like Bhagavan's like very much out of the hot seat at this point, you know, the documentary is really pivoted away from him and, I guess it might have just been a little bit too much to have three main acts to follow. So they're really not looking at whatever suspicious, sketchy stuff's going on with his harem cult tiger kingdom at the Myrtle Beach uh, facility. But, you know, he's doing the same sort of thing, like where he's enticing people in with the tigers, with the big cats and the allure of these animals and that primal attraction to uh, maybe taming nature or taming that which we fear on a on a primal evolutionary level. Joe is certainly using that as well to get people to do things for him. They're talking to the the one employee who basically rebuilt like a facility for him. And they're like, well, how much do you get paid? He's like, not really anything, but I got to pet tigers. And, you know, so the animals are are, are kind of dangled out there for people and that impulse to take care of them. And the fact that people get attached to them was certainly uh, taken advantage of. And then around this this time, we learned that Joe had an opportunity to go into mediation with Carol and Howard to work out like a payment plan that would have been a little bit more amenable to the seasonal nature of his business. And he basically scrapped that when they wanted him to put his mom's house up for collateral. And around this time, enter Jeff Lowe, which is the quote-unquote angel investor that is hinted at in episode description. And Jeff Lowe, I would say, is a master of using big cats to get the things that he wants in life. I kind of don't even, I'm not even, I don't really want to say it. Like there's a one line that he says, a little cat, uh, wink, wink, gets you a lot of cat, wink, wink. Um, Listen, we can say it. It's, I don't want to say it. You can say it. A little pussy gets you a lot of pussy. There you go. That's what and he said. Girl- and then his girlfriend agrees right then and there. Right. Uh. His girlfriend is agree. Yeah, they're swingers. Um, you know, it's like men are just gross. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but men are just disgusting. And a lot of them are just okay with letting their, their disgustingness hang out. But it Jeff keeps Lowe, it in the uh, back of your mind and not, not letting it, it come out. Yeah. You know, he... He just doesn't give a fuck, right? No. Like clearly, and not only is he using tigers, he clearly uses women and uses people. Totally. And you know, towards the end of this episode, a little tiny bit of you is starting to feel bad for Joe because you just kind of see what's coming up. I'll I'll let yes. you go, Doctor T, on this, but and, yeah, uh, well, just like ugh, ugh, ugh. Ugh. Is it the affliction? Is it the affliction T-shirts? It's, is it the soul, the soul yeah. patch? Is it the is it the do rag? Yeah, oh the do rag. It's it's all of it. It's just like uh, it's just so it's it's like almost like a, a cartoon version of like the worst man on the planet. You know what I mean? Like it's just like he's just like such a just the way that he walks around and the way that he is talking to his girlfriend and just like. His whole demeanor just as a woman just makes you want to throw up and I don't know. It's just, it's bad. It's bad. It's almost yeah, like- Jeff Lowe's pretty barfy. Like, 
Yeah, it's almost like he wishes he was a member of Hell's Angels or Moggles or some like motorcycle club, but knows he's not nowhere near tough enough to do it. So he just dresses the part and puts on some swagger and mistreats women. He's a poser. Yeah. 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 yeah so a little background on Jeff Lowe. So he's he's the guy that comes onto the scene that Joe thinks is going to be his savior, who's going to be able to help him finally beat Carol. And so Jeff Lowe is this Las Vegas swinger guy. He's got a pretty attractive wife, Lauren, who I don't know what he did to mind, brainwash her. But anyway, he's got a wife that seems like a normal person who's way out of his league, but you know, he's whatever. Um, his grandfather was a famous zoo man who had some big menagerie of animals back in the day. So Jeff had lions and tigers and things like that um, when he was just like 17 and, and still pretty young. So he had an early introduction to the allure and the power of these big cats, how they can be used to get stuff out of people. He had some business savvy. He is, he's, seems like a pretty smart guy, as gross as he is. He seems pretty intelligent. And so Joe meets him. I forget, did they mention how they actually first met? I think, did Jeff come out to the GW Zoo? And was he maybe trying to buy some tigers from Joe? Is that what it was that Jeff had purchased maybe some of the tiger cubs that he I was think that's what taking it is. back to Vegas. Oh okay. yeah, I think that's what it was. Well, uh, they said that he had his own tiger collection. He was looking for a place to store it. Okay, that's but I think that Jeff Lowe had knew what he was going to do before he went in, had a plan ahead of time, and think was just looking for his next scam. His you next know, mark. clearly his next mark. Yeah, because. Someone like this, there has to be more people that he has used and abused. There could probably be a whole other documentary on because um, for sure, Joe's not the first person that he's taken for a ride. So I, I'd be curious oh, no. to- Well, and know. if he's immersed in the big cat world anyway, he's aware of like the turmoil that's going on between Joe and Carol too. Mm -hmm. So he definitely could be, you know, like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to swoop in and see what happens kind of thing i don't know if he had a plan to like you know take the zoo take control of the zoo on the outset but definitely saw the opportunity well just clearly a, a player and a predator he knows how to manipulate people he knows how to take advantage of people he knew what needed to be done to draw joe in flashing cash having him out at the mansion you know partying you know, sure they're getting wild. Sounds like they had a pretty good time. And you could really see, you know, there's like that one instance where, you know, Jeff, I guess had like some money of, or some sort like out and about. And like, you could just see that Joe was wrapped up in that. He was really caught up in the allure of this lifestyle, which after the fact we find out is the facade is false. The mansion is rented. He's behind on the Ferrari payments. Jeff Lowe is not who he seems to be or who he claims to be. But Joe blind to that he's really not looking too deeply into the situation because he's so fixated on his own obsession with carol and trying to win this battle and he sees somebody who's going to be able to fund this battle um, who's going to you know become a partner in the zoo who's got deep pockets that he can use to you know keep paying the lawyers which i guess jeff uh did he cut a cashier check of thirty five thousand dollars, i think paid the lawyers to keep the legal battle going so at least initially he did actually put some of his money where his mouth was and kind of, I think, got Joe hooked, got mm -hmm. Joe addicted and got Joe 
being deeper than Joe really realized, at least at the outset. Yeah, because they talk about after that, they, you know, the lawyers and Joe and Jeff all agree that, you know, they should put the zoo in Jeff's name to derail the the suits again. And it's like, oh, well, so for 35 grand, essentially, he took that zoo. Right. Know, legal possession of the zoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like you, like you brought up earlier, Joy, like this is what the documentarian or the creators of the show, they do so well is they show how terrible Joe is. And then yet at the end, like they can, they can twist and be like, yeah, but you kind of feel bad that he got taken for a ride here too. Sort of thing, even though he doesn't deserve to have this cat suit, you know, no. by any yeah. means. So, and you would have thought like after getting himself in the debacle, well, no, I mean, it's Joe, so no, but like after getting yourself in the debacle of realizing that you signed this contract and that you didn't really pay attention to what it was saying. And now this other guy owns all this footage and you had to like go through that to get out of that. You know, if that was Joe that did that, like then this guy comes around that seems like just too good to be true is also like listening in on your phone call that's like with lawyers and stuff and then just decides to take over the conversation and joe seems so gleeful about that i think someone without that type of ego would be like uh whoa this is my personal business yeah okay we can talk about housing your tigers it just is like it's just another crazy thing but that's what this whole series is is crazy thing upon crazy thing Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think Jeff Lowe just did to Joe what Jeff does probably to everybody else in his life, uh, presented to him what he realized Joe wanted to see. You know, Joe wanted to see somebody who's sympathetic to his cause against Carol, he wanted to see somebody who had the resources to participate in this legal battle, and that's what Jeff showed him. He showed him, yeah, sort of like the devil, you know, laying out the temptations of the world saying, all right, you can have all this stuff, but uh, you just got to you know, sell your soul. I'm like, oh, what, what was that? Uh, you know, just sell your soul. Oh, uh, I don't know. Okay, sign here. You know, it's just one of those um, kind of classic uh, wolf yeah. in sheep's clothing or uh, wolf in um, affliction like, t-shirts, I guess. Easy to... Wolf in sheep clothing. Yeah. Wolf in sheep, cheap clothing, yeah. <laughs> it's also like when you see someone who has a... Um, an ego or a, the way I like to actually look as like a paper thin ego, you know, mm-hmm. when you see that it's very easily to pander and manipulate that. Right. And he probably just made Joe feel really important yep. and I've got your back. Exactly. We're going to do this together. Like fuck these people. You know, he got so aggressive on that phone call the stuff that he said about that i won't repeat that word because that's a word i absolutely loathe as a woman but like you know it's just yeah like joe definitely saw this guy as like the savior coming in and he didn't even see it was like jeff was distracting him with one hand and doing something else with the other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. joe just didn't even see it you know because he was so wrapped up in the fact that finally someone that has the amount of money that carol does is on my side now she's really gonna get it like he couldn't see past that narrow view and like you said joe was eating it up you know at least initially at this stage the uh the honeymoon the honeymoon Mm -hmm. phase of him and and jeff's relationship yeah also can we talk about tigers being put into like suitcases like yeah so that was like jeff lowe's game was to take 
baby tigers to Vegas, sneak them into hotels in suitcases, and then, I don't know, round up a number of, I don't know if they're strippers or prostitutes or girls that he just found in we casinos. Call them sex or workers. Sex workers. Okay. <laughs> My bad. I just don't know, like, what but there was also guys in there too so the here's the thing that well, i think is <laughs> guys can, i guess guys can be sex workers too. i don't know like jeff probably well, swanging around <laughs> no no for sure but what i'm saying is it's interesting because the way that i look at this is like he really didn't need to gather that much money together right like it was like 35 grand right these supposed tiger parties so it is very commonplace to host parties where you have females at, and then men pay $300, $400 at the door to come in and just be in these parties. So it's very possible he might have used Joe's own baby tigers to earn the money to buy this zoo ah. from him. You know, so, and also like these girls, who doesn't want to be at this fancy party with baby tigers? Mm -hmm. oh and then like also an opportunity to maybe earn some money and like in a safe environment mm -hmm. right like um so you know so he's kind of putting a big he... cat spin on an existing business model for lack of a better word correct mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. i'm just so far removed exactly. from that world mm -hmm. uh <laughs> i'm not in any way <laughs> shape or form aware of, of what's going on out there i guess jeff did get in trouble for this though i don't i don't believe it was talked about in this current episode of the Tiger King. I don't know if it does come up later, but he did get in trouble because obviously it's illegal to smuggle tigers into hotels and you know they're an endangered species ultimately. So while I guess it's legal to have a USDA license and go out and do like a tiger show, you're not allowed to smuggle them into casinos and charge people money and uh, this and that. So this actually did create a bit of a legal issue for Jeff which I think played out later when he realized some of the legal stuff that was going on with Joe's operation and may have influenced some of the actions that he takes later on in the series, which will will dangle that as a nice little cliffhanger. You gotta keep watching Tiger King, you gotta keep listening to get all of that. But yeah, any I mean that kind of covers this particular episode. It's really just Joe doing one outrageous thing after another and going further and further and further down this hole, which like you said at the top of the episode, Seamus, really is kind of like the theme, murder, mayhem, and madness. This is like madness face. This yeah. is, yeah. This is uh, you know, the Emperor Nero playing the violin as Rome burns. This is the GW Zoo literally burning down and Joe's creating fake country music videos. That was his uh, <laughs> version of that. Fake country Nero. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't even playing the violin. He just had somebody, he paid someone else. Didn't even pay somebody else. He just <laughs> ripped somebody else off. <laughs> so thumbs up, thumbs down time. What do you think? Uh, this episode gave me emotional whiplash because there were so many ways of like, you know, feeling for the animals and then feeling um, Joe's mom and then Carol's pain. And then you feel a little sorry for Joe. And then you've got the employees that are feeling bad that they can't take care of these animals better. Like, I just felt like I didn't have time to really sit in anyone's like emotion or pain or anger or frustration. Cause it was just like, boom, boom, boom. So yeah, I just feel emotional whiplash. <laughs> it was a hard episode, but I still will mm -hmm. give it a thumbs up. 
because you know it's the tiger king what do you i mean it's awesome this is the murder mayhem and madness <laughs> yeah i mean i agree it's it's a thumbs up but it, there was a lot going on you know like i said at the top of the episode it's like a plane crashes into a train that drives off a cliff where there's alligators in the bottom of the cliff kind of thing um <laughs> can i get that just... on a t-shirt will you make me one i think that's i want that <laughs> um yeah, there just there wasn't any sort of rest because it was either like Joe digging himself deeper um, in the hole, and it was almost like he was channeling Chief Wiggum's, you know, advice of like, no, 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 just dig up, stupid, right? Um, he just didn't want to put that shovel down, but it, you know, to him, he was the victim, so he was willing to do whatever he could, you know, like never underestimate the actions of a desperate man, mm. sort of thing, or there's nothing. Is quite as dangerous as like a cornered animal you know and joe definitely was cornered financially with all these lawsuits and stuff but he did not submit you know he didn't really give up ever so to his own peril yeah i think that's why i give this episode a thumbs up i thumbs down last week's episode because i wanted to keep going with the tigers but now that this is the track that we're on at least this gives me a lot of the kind of psychological stuff to dive into and to dig into. I always think it's interesting how much of our troubles in life are self-inflicted. You know, I'm certainly not immune to this. Um, I've caused plenty of problems for myself in the past, probably going to continue to do stuff like that in the future. And, you know, I see it as, as my challenge in life to, to get out of my way more and more. And what I see, and especially this episode of the Tiger King is such a cautionary tale where in hindsight and in retrospect, I don't know if Joe's doing this. I don't know if he's really reflecting on any of this stuff, but you can look at it and you can just see, yeah, he could have extricated himself from this situation at multiple points. He could have not copied Carol's logo and you know, committed copyright infringement from the beginning. He could have not done that. He could have not countersued when they initially sued him. He could have not created websites to share slanderous and uh, again, more copyrighted uh, photos that created even more lawsuits. He could have owned it at that point and paid the money off and transferred the assets necessary. But no, he brought in friends and family members and, and coworkers and, and got them tied into it. He could have mediated it and again, had all these opportunities. But no, he gets Jeff Lowe involved, which introduces a whole other criminal uh, you know, predatory element in there, a whole nother con man basically enters into the equation. So I just think from, from a psychological perspective, it's just such a classic Greek tragedy. You know, somebody who had gone through so much already in their life had reached this peak of, you know, some sort of fame, some sort of acclaim, had created this world where, you know, he really did have, at least in terms of his own kind of needs and wants, had it all. And burned it all down. So thumbs up on this episode. Definitely a difficult, uh, difficult one to watch. And um, we'll be keeping going. We've got three more and then a wrap up episode. So halfway done and we'll see what happens. Thank you as always for listening to Netflix and podcast. Just a quick final note, if you like this episode, if you want to hear more Netflix and podcast coverage of Netflix originals, 
let us know what you think by sending us an email at netflixandpodcastshow at gmail.com. That's netflixandandpodcastshow at gmail.com.